2: On the evening of July seventh, two 2007, I was patrolling a swampy area in Lauderdale County, Mississippi, as a police officer. The moon cast an eerie glow, creating an atmosphere of mystery. As I drove, my headlights caught two red dots reflecting back at me. Intrigued, I approached the source and discovered an unusual creature. It resembled an alligator, but with distinct legs and arms that ended in thumbs. The creature stood upright, just like a human, walking with a peculiar gait. The sighting lasted for about twenty seconds before it vanished into the darkness under the thick tree canopy. There were no nearby houses, and this location wasn't far from where several alligators had been spotted earlier that week. It was impossible to mistake this creature for any other animal. I immediately reported the incident to my supervisor, who was taken aback by my account. In the morning, a request was made for a helicopter equipped with thermal imaging devices, but our search yielded no results. Speculation arose that the creature I witnessed might be the Lizard Man, a figure intertwined with the legend of the Mothman. One of the earliest reported sightings of the Lizard Man came from an oil rig worker in Scarbury, West Virginia. According to local residents, there are caves in the nearby swamps where bodies were allegedly experimented on during World War IE by Japanese scientists under Operation Paperclip. Some believe these experiments may have given rise to the existence of these lizard-like beings, but such claims remain speculative. There are other infamous cases, such as the Lizard Man of Scape or a swamp in South Carolina during the 1980s a young man encountered a large humanoid lizard while dealing with car troubles by the roadside. The creature gave chase, leaving a lasting impression on the witness. Another account came from a hunter who claimed to have seen a seven-foot-tall lizard walking into the swamp, trying to make eye contact before disappearing into the water. This less-known encounter took place three years after the young man's incident but the hunter's description matched the drawing of the creature made by the boy. Similar sightings of these creatures have been reported in various locations worldwide, including Central and South America, Africa, Australia, Japan, and China. Witnesses often describe them as bipedal reptiles with scales. Even Native American folklore tells tales of giant lizard-like monsters that prey on humans, particularly children. Some cultures revered lizard, like beings as gods, while others viewed them as savage man, eaters, or demonic entities. Sheriff Billy Soley of Lauderdale County acknowledged that they haven't found concrete evidence to prove or disprove the creature's existence. However, they remain open to investigation. Local residents and those near the area continue their search hoping to uncover any evidence that might shed light on these sightings. In conclusion, I would like to emphasize that there are numerous first-hand reports and encounters with these creatures. We must handle this information with care, ensuring it doesn't fall into the wrong hands or cause unnecessary panic. If you have any additional information or have had a personal encounter with this creature, please reach out to me via email. In April 2011, a friend and I were stargazing on my roof on a dry, clear night in New Jersey. We were observing the Lyrid's meteor shower that wasn't producing as many shooting stars as we had hoped, but we stayed up there intensely focused on the sky to see one every few minutes. After a couple hours of this, we caught a bright light in our peripherals. We turn around and see what looks like a bright blue-white lead flashlight traveling in the forest behind the house. At first instinct, we thought it was the police with a flashlight chasing someone. But then we realized that the light was up in the treetops, weaving through the canopy. All we could say is WTF is it over and over again as it got closer to us. It was traveling along the direction of the river behind our house and seemed to notice us because, as it passed the back of my house, it slowed to a gentle stop, then took a 90-degree turn onto the clearing of our property about 40 feet from us, coming straight towards us, as if it had noticed us and wanted to check us out. This is when we got our first really good look at it. It was a perfectly defined glowing sphere of light the size of a basketball with what seemed like churning flowing plasma inside, icy blue-white hue emitting absolutely no sound at all. We started screaming at this point. As it approached, it moved very slowly compared to the pace it had traveling through the trees. It seemed almost cautious in its movement. It's weird, but you could sense some form of intention intelligence in its movement. We were horrified because we knew nothing could explain what we were seeing, and we weren't about to have around and find out by letting it get any closer. We scrambled off the roof and ran inside, hiding under a blanket like scared little children, even though we were in our late teens. We didn't talk about it much after that because we just couldn't explain it. About a year later, one of my neighbors is banging on my door, telling me to let him in. He told me that him and a friend were down by the river in that same patch of woods and were chased by a floating silent light ball. This freaked me out because I knew he was telling the truth. I had never told him the story of my encounter. I'm a trucker by the name of Jack. I've driven through many a desolate stretch of road, passing by endless miles of nothingness. The solitude doesn't bother me, in fact I kind of like it, but there's this one memory, this one particular drive through the middle of nowhere, Colorado, that still sends a chill down my spine. There wasn't much around, just barren landscapes, the open road stretching out in front of me, and my truck humming along to the rhythm of the highway. It was the only road visible on my map, and it was almost eerily devoid of human touch. But then, up ahead in the horizon, probably about a half mile away from the road, I spotted an unusual cluster of houses or buildings. In a place so desolate, so untouched by civilization, the sight of these structures seemed utterly out of place. Intrigued, I kept my eyes on them as I approached, curiosity piqued by the incongruity of it all. As I drove past, I got a clearer view. The houses were set up in a circle, forming a sort of perimeter around an open area. What was more unsettling, though, were the people I saw walking around in the center. They were all donned in black robes, their faces hidden from view, gathering in a tight circle. Then, out of nowhere, three black SUVs appeared. They drove across the barren landscape, plumes of dust rising in their wake, heading directly towards the group a sense of unease crept over me, a cold shiver snaking down my spine as I watched the scene unfold. Something about it felt wrong, like I was inadvertently witnessing something I shouldn't. I remember wishing I had the time to stick around to see what was really going on. But duty called. I had a schedule to keep, deliveries to make. So I kept driving, leaving the strange sight behind me, in the rearview mirror, the sight of the robed figures and black SUVs slowly faded into the vast Colorado landscape. I often find myself mulling over that sight, wondering what was happening back there. It seemed like something out of a cult movie. A secret meeting in the middle of nowhere. But I guess I'll never know for sure. All I have is this unsettling memory and a story that sounds too strange to be true. I've seen many odd things during my years on the road, but that eerie sight in Colorado remains the most inexplicable of them all. There's something about driving at night that strips the world of its normalcy, turns the mundane into the mysterious. I learned this the hard way during a run from Yuma, Arizona, driving the lonely stretch where the 8 intersects the 85 at Gila Bend. It was a familiar route for me. I'd made countless runs along that road, so much so that I even had a regular spot where I'd pull over to stretch my legs and take a leak. That night was no different, or at least that's what I thought as I rounded a bend, the spot in question just up ahead. As I was about to pull over, my headlights illuminated a figure strolling across the highway. It was a creature unlike anything I'd seen before. A strange amalgamation of features that didn't belong together. It looked canine, but its appearance was grotesquely warped. Its hind legs were elongated, almost rabbit-like, but twisted in a way that didn't seem natural. Its body was lean and muscular, its defined muscles rippling under the skin as it moved. Its snout was long and narrow, like that of a wolf but devoid of any fur. The creature's skin was an unusual sight, a stark contrast to the mangy patches you'd expect on a hairless animal. Instead it was thick and tough, looking almost akin to a rhino's, but it had an uncanny smoothness to it that caught the reflection of my headlights. But what really got me, what truly sent a shiver down my spine, was the way it regarded me. As I slowed down, it didn't panic or run away as you'd expect a wild animal to. It simply continued its leisurely stroll, its eyes never leaving me. It was as if it was sizing me up, unafraid and eerily calm. The creature was massive, easily the size of a Great Dane or a Cane Corso, and its bizarre, uncanny appearance left an indelible mark on my memory. I watched paralyzed as it disappeared into the darkness on the other side of the road. Needless to say, I didn't stop that night, nor any other night after that. My usual pit stop was permanently tainted by that eerie encounter. Now every time I make that run, I can't help but scan the roadside, half expecting to see that creature again, and each time a chill runs down my spine a reminder of the night when the mundane turned into the mysterious i've always had a knack for getting myself into unusual situations but when i was transferred to a remote town in alaska i had no idea just how unusual things would get the town was surrounded by a vast dense forest infamous for its strange occurrences The locals spoke in hushed whispers about the inexplicable disappearances of hikers and chilling apparitions that had a knack for driving people mad. The rumors didn't bother me until the day a couple vanished without a trace during a routine hike. I was officer Jane Wilkinson and leading my team of 10 officers into the depths of that forest was a decision that would forever haunt me. We were seasoned police officers. As we moved deeper into the forest, we encountered inexplicable phenomena. Disembodied whispers filled the air, seeming to lure us further into the wilderness. Apparitions flickered in and out of sight among the trees, their presence chilling us to the bone. Then, one by one, my team started to disappear. No cries for help, no gunshots, just a terrifying silence that stretched on until we were down to half our original number that's when we saw it, a monstrous creature, more beast than man, its twisted form a grotesque mockery of a dog. The cryptid the locals feared was real, and it was hunting us. With my heart pounding in my chest and the primal fear of being hunted surging through me, I found myself stumbling upon its lair. A ghastly sight awaited me there. The remains of countless hikers scattered around the clearing, gritting my teeth. I radioed the station, relaying the grim discoveries and the horrifying situation. The backup was hours away, the terrain too treacherous for a quick response. Alone and scared, I decided to search for the cryptid. I crept through the woods, my flashlight revealing nothing but shadows and the occasional pair of reflective eyes belonging to a harmless critter. Hours passed in a chilling silence, the creature nowhere to be found. Every snap of a twig, every rustle of leaves set my heart racing. The sky was beginning to lighten when I realized my search had been futile. The cryptid was gone, and I was left alone with my fear and the haunting memories of my fallen comrades. As I write this report, I can't help but replay the horrific events of that day in my mind. The fear, the despair, and the overwhelming sense of loss. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that even in the face of insurmountable odds, you don't back down. You fight. You survive. And you live to tell the tale. I work as an ice logger in Peace River, Alberta. Now, mind you, I'm there only four months a year. But I would tell you that we have an ice camp. A nice setup and we go 24-7 hauling wood for the big chippers and chips go to China as wood heat, etc. Anyhow, we had a bridge out where we have to take the big chip trucks across and were six of us there. Some idiot trucker threw out a bag of trash right on the river. Mind you, at this time in the season it was 40F below. We all saw these big tracks come out to this bag and rifle through it. This thing, whatever it was, dragged its feet whether to hide its prints or what. But all of us are tough, bruised, battled, and scared loggers who never said a word to each other. Just looks, or I guess glare at each other. But we knew there was something there in the wood line. We've done our work and we got the hell out of there. This is the thing. Truck drivers don't have to stay in the woods like us. Whatever it was did not like that bag of trash thrown there. We were not allowed at night when we were skidding to go five feet from the machine. Have your smoke, but don't go too far. Now, this is written down as an offense if you do it. Our old cook, well, she is not that old, but she told us not to throw food out at the camp because it would cause ravens to come in and cause a racket in the morning. Because the boys work twelve-hour shifts and hate to get woke up. Anyway, this night I was on days at the time and could not sleep. So after supper, I stayed around the kitchen talking to her. She is a Plains Cree lady, and I am Mike Moa. So after a while like 9 or 9.30, I noticed her bagging stuff, leftover dinner, etc. I said I will take that out for you. Our trash bins are bare, proof with heavy lids. She said no. So I watched her take this bag outside and lay it beside the bare, proof bins. I was thinking, WTF? I did not ask her much or why really she does that. But in a way, she said it was for her big friend. I did not go see if the food was gone as I worked 12-hour shifts. But I do watch here after our supper and our breakfast. She put certain things aside for somebody or something. We have around 200 acres of woodland. Me and my dad live on the front end of the property and on the back side of the property we have a rustic hunting cabin. No water or electricity. The back end of our property also sits on the edge of a state forest. You have to travel something like 12 miles before you reach any kind of road or trail. Several years back during deer hunting season, my dad and I were sitting around the campfire back at our hunting cabin. It was near dusk, and we were done hunting for the day, just relaxing. We both saw something moving in the sky that caught our attention. A larger purple shape about the size of a small car was floating along just above the tree line. It was moving rather quickly. It came from the direction of the front end of our property, came towards us, went above our heads, and continued back toward the state forest until it disappeared from sight. If I had to guess, I would say it was moving about 15 miles per hour. It didn't look like a cloud, but it didn't look quite solid either. We both saw it happen and just kind of remained silent for a minute and then confirmed that we both saw it. Neither of us had any good guesses as to what it could have been. Only thing I can come up with is swamp gas. But that's not a good explanation, I don't think. That's my strange hunting story. It hasn't been enough to keep me out of the woods, but creepy all the same. I'm a wildlife biologist. I do a lot of work in northern Cali and Oregon, and during the summer I work nights. I'm female and do most of the work solo. Last summer I was hiking in deep woods in northern Cali. About an hour and a half from my truck with no cell service, Around 1.30 a.m. I had finished up surveys and was heading back when I suddenly smelled something odd. I continued up the steep hill and as I came over the top I was suddenly on the edge of a large camp. The area was cleared and I could see several tents and UTVs and trash everywhere. That weird smell. It was a porta potty. I could also see a fire pit with several figures sitting around it. I stopped dead, immediately dropped to the ground and scrambled behind a tree. I was close enough to hear some mumbled conversation and occasional loud laughter. The only reason there would be a camp that far into the wilderness would be to grow weed illegally. These people can be very violent, and many people involved in the industry go missing every year. Women especially can be swept into sex trafficking, never to be seen again. I got out my spot device, GPS locator and satellite messaging and sent my location and situation to my supervisor. I crawled as quietly as possible back down the hill before retracing my steps to take a long way around. My adrenaline ran high until I got to the safety of my truck and I crashed hard and cried on the phone to my supervisor. That was one of the more terrifying moments in my career. I've had several encounters alone with large predators, but nothing is scarier than encountering a group of strangers alone in the deep wood. The allure of the forbidden always held a peculiar fascination for me. When I embarked on a solo hiking trip deep into the heart of the vast national forest, I couldn't resist the temptation to explore the uncharted territory that locals had long warned me about. This area, hidden from the prying eyes of tourists and authorities, was rumored to be cursed, a place where ancient legends whispered secrets of unspeakable horrors. As I ventured further from the well-trodden paths, the forest became denser and more foreboding. The gnarled branches of ancient trees seemed to claw at the sky, casting eerie shadows that danced like malevolent spirits. The oppressive silence pressed in around me, broken only by the occasional rustle of leaves or the distant hoot of an owl. The trees began to thin, revealing a desolate clearing in the heart of the forest— Here the sunlight struggled to penetrate the canopy, casting a feeble glow that only served to enhance the eerie ambience. Amidst the tall, moss-covered rocks, I spotted an enormous boulder that beckoned me closer. It was beneath this colossal stone that I stumbled upon something that defied reason, a nightmarish tableau that would haunt my dreams for years to come. There, nestled beneath the rock's imposing shadow, lay the desiccated remains of a creature that could only be described as colossal. The partially buried corpse was massive, with elongated limbs that stretched upwards as if in defiance of death itself. The skeletal structure was unlike anything I had ever encountered, bearing no resemblance to the fauna of our modern world. The bones were aged and yellowed with time, hinting at an existence that spanned millennia, My heart pounded in my chest as I dared to get closer, my trembling hands reaching out to touch the ancient remains. But as I examined the creature more closely, an unthinkable terror gripped me with icy fingers. The colossal carcass had moved. Panic seized my senses as the bones shifted and creaked, sinews and tendons that should have long turned to dust, strained and flexed the ancient giant, or whatever abomination it was, stirred beneath the weight of time. In that horrifying moment, the very laws of nature seemed to unravel. Without a second thought, I turned and fled, my footsteps echoing through the chilling silence. The dense forest closed in around me like a suffocating shroud, and my heart pounded a desperate rhythm in my chest fear and disbelief warred within me as I pushed myself to run faster and farther. Finally, I burst out of the forbidding part of the forest back into the relative safety of the more familiar trails. Gasping for breath, I collapsed onto a mossy knoll, my mind reeling with the magnitude of what I had witnessed. What had I stumbled upon in that forbidden clearing? Was it an ancient giant, a Nephilim, or something even more nightmarish? Questions swirled through my thoughts and i couldn't help but wonder if the legends and whispers of the cursed forest held more truth than anyone could have ever imagined what did i just witness and what unspeakable horrors lay hidden beneath the ancient trees of the national forest I work supply in the Air Force and we have a couple creepy stories about our warehouse that I always thought were just the other guys having fun. So one night I stayed up real late and decided to go sleep at the shop to catch a couple hours of sleep before work. I kept all the lights off and passed out in the office and about an hour in I start to wake up to all these noises. Sounds like someone's running around the warehouse so I look out the doorway and don't see anything. And all of a sudden, there's a crash in the room next to mine. The chair was spinning and stopped perfectly facing the desk I was at, and all the computer screens turned on. I went outside and smoked till everyone else showed up low. I wasn't exactly hunting. I had a nice 94 Camaro and I needed new tire due to being a stupid teenager with a powerful car. I knew where I could get some nice tires, but I had to steal them from a guy that once stole my car and drove it into a lake. We parked across the highway in a clearing in front of a cornfield. We got there. We each grabbed a tire and was working on throwing them in the car when we heard like a croaking noise. We looked over and saw something very human like but like three foot tall that ran fast as shit out of the corn and into the distance all within about three seconds. We all saw it and no one believes us. We got the tires in the car and got the hell out of there fast. Not exactly spooky, but when I was in boot camp, I was in ship six, name of the barracks, about three months after they reopened it. It had been closed for about five years prior and was still going through renovations while we were there. Around midnight, the four weird shit would happen. It was likely the symptom of sleep deprivation, but you'd always hear footsteps, occasionally see something moving outside the porthole on the door to the open bay, and everyone on the second and third decks swore they saw either a recruit or horse walking. Around up there, Thing is, some deer did kill himself in that building a couple of years before they closed it, or so I've been told. At my current station, though there's a bunch of vampire deer that make it onto base, and last year, when I was on nights, there was a deer that liked the parking lot outside my building. We have cameras that cover, said parking lot, and I once saw that deer looking up at the camera for a minute or two. At first, it was spooky to see a deer with fangs look right back at me, but then it got kind of cool and unsettling. This was about five years ago. Me, my mom, and my dad were camping at Mary Jane Thurston State Park just outside Grand Rapids, Ohio. It was around the end of August, the beginning of September, Our campsite was in the front part of the campgrounds, leading up to the two separate incidents we occasionally heard what we thought could have been a bird of some kind screaming or screeching up in the trees, or at least it sounded like it was coming from the top of the trees. We'd hear it almost every night, but in a different location. We'd hear it in the trees behind us one night then the next night it would come from the other end of the campgrounds, then the night after we'd hear it from across the road. I've listened to the sounds of different animals, including owls, to see if that was the noise we heard, but nothing is even close. Occasionally we'd hear what sounded like branches being snapped, but thought nothing of it. I had my own tent, and that detail is somewhat important as it factors in to the second incident. First incident, My dad woke up in the middle of the night to what sounded like someone was rummaging through the ice chest, which was sitting between our tents. He said he then heard whoever or whatever it was shut the cooler and walk away. He told me and my mom about it the next day. The odd thing was that nothing was missing from the cooler. Second incident happened the night after the first one. I had a little small TV and my game console in my tent. I was watching a movie when I hear something approach our campsite. Whatever it is went through the cooler again. I could hear the ice moving around as it was rummaging through the cooler. I was as still and as quiet as possible, but whoever or I should say whatever it was knew I was awake, because it decided to put its massive hand on the side of my tent and push it in. I was frozen with fear and didn't know what to do. It felt like forever. But was only about 20 seconds before it took its hand from my tent and walked away i didn't even think about looking for tracks the next day we don't have beers in this part of ohio so i definitely know it wasn't a bear this thing didn't take anything from the ice chest despite going through it twice i know when it put its hand on my tent and pushed it in a little i was frozen with fear We know it wasn't some homeless person or anyone else because there was maybe five campsites that had anyone and they were in the back part of the campground. My family has a hunting cabin in the Allegheny National Forest of Pennsylvania. My grandpa, who worked in a steel mill in Pittsburgh, bought the land in the 70s whenever the real estate agents used to go into the mills and post ads for huge plots of lands that the steel workers would break up and all get their own plots for dirt cheap, then help each other build their camps. Allegedly, there was a grave site found on the property that my grandpa bought. The details aren't exactly clear how this was discovered, but Apparently, some type of survey was done before the property was sold. An archaeologist from the University of Pittsburgh uncovered a very old Native American grave. They excavated the grave, but the pit by that point, now just a depression in the ground, was still there. This was on my grandpa's property about 200 yards from the cabin. Of course, I don't know that any of this is true, but the depression was, and as far as I know, it's still there, and that was the story we were all told. Of course, when I was a kid, my cousins, and I used to do very dumb and disrespectful things like go back to the site in the middle of the night and dare each other to lay down in it. I probably was about 10 years old when this happened in the early 90s my dad swears he doesn't remember it but my cousin i keep in touch with clearly also remembers it we were sitting around the campfire roasting hot dogs and marshmallows talking that type of thing obviously there was no alcohol on my part as i was like 10 and my dad didn't drink i remember my dad shushing everybody and my older cousins and my dad were talking about seeing somebody in the woods My dad is telling everybody to be quiet, and he shines a flashlight into the woods. We don't see anybody. We go back to our business, and one of my cousins shouts out there. He is again. By shielding the light from the fire, you can see a wispy, grayish human figure walking through the woods slowly, like prowling like he's trying not to make any noise. He was walking from our left as if he came from behind the cabin and was crossing the wood line along our left and then across the front of the yard, just along the trees, but probably.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods
2: Nobody said a word. My dad and one of my cousins both shined flashlights several times, but he would disappear. You could only see him in the dark and after your eyes adjusted. At some point, he walked in the field of view where the fire was between us and him, and we never saw him again. The creepy part is the direction he was walking was towards the gravesite. We had never seen this before and never saw it again. I probably spent a week every summer at the camp until I was about 20. Family drama weirdness after my grandpa died kind of ruined the camp for us, and I haven't been back. Needless to say, we didn't mess with the grave again after this. My family and I went on a trip to the Hocking Hills area of Southern Ohio a few weeks ago. There was a place that I always wanted to visit, the abandoned Ghost Town Moonville Rail Tunnel. I've never been to this area, so I, I didn't know what to expect, but I did know it was pretty deep in the woods. We took a trip from our rented cabin using Google for GPS to the location. We start driving, and it's, for lack of better words, real impoverished where we are driving or hills have eyes we literally only see a few cars on the way there and are on back roads. We get to a point where we need to enter into a forest and we are close to the tunnel. There was a sign that said we were entering Bubbawood. For a little additional information, I driver Mercedes that I'm just lucky to have and have my husband in the car, a black man with dreadlocks, my 10-year-old nonverbal autistic son, and my six-year-old daughter. We drive down this real creepy stone road into the forest and there is nothing back there. No houses, no cars, nobody. We see signs that we are close and pull in the parking lot. There is a footbridge with a ton of on it that people put there. We walk over the footbridge and make our way toward the tunnel, which is a lot larger than I expected. We hear the sound coming from the other side of the tunnel that goes into the woods away from the parking lot. A truck comes driving through the tunnel toward us while we are on foot. He gets out of his truck with a chainsaw, and it's a white guy in his 60s. He walks with my entire family everywhere we go and through the tunnel. I tried to make small talk with him and pull some info about if he worked for the Department of Natural Resources, etc. He really wasn't budging. We turn around to walk out of the tunnel, and he starts using a chainsaw behind us, and the sound is just echoing through this tunnel. At this point, we have no cell phone service, and literally no one knows my family is out there except us. I was already worried my car was sending the wrong idea to people like we have V-Money or something. We don't. We rush to the car to get the kids in their booster seats, and this MF comes driving over the footbridge in his truck towards us, in the parking lot. I honestly don't even know how his truck fit on it. He stops again and gets out of his truck and starts walking the other direction, much to our relief. About this time, I notice there are dusty handprints on my car. I asked my husband if they were his, and we compared his hand and my son's, and they were not a match. I don't know who could have touched the car because we were with the chainsaw man the entire time we were there. We get out of there as fast as possible. Just a few minutes later, I look in my rear-view mirror, and there is a bunch of dust kicked up behind us, and there he is. He had to have driven pretty fast on the stone road to catch up to us like that. There is nowhere to go in this woods. The road is basically one lane, and we have no cell service or GPS. Every time I think we lose him, he is there again. I am waiting for my tires to get popped or something, or for this guy to ram me off the road into a ravine in the woods. Finally, we get out of this woods, and I turn out, and he's still following. We were following printed directions to get back, and I ended up making a wrong turn in the excitement. The guy in the truck was finally gone, and I turned around to go back past the stone road that goes into the forest. There is one lone house near this road, and there is his truck parked there. He had to have seen us drive onto this road into the woods and taken some backway to the tunnel. I don't know if he was just trying to protect the site from more graffiti or what, but he really creeped us out. It was like every scary movie trope rolled into one single event. So as a Marine, my first assignment took me to good old USAG Yongsen in Korea. It had a rich history, once serving as an Imperial Japanese Army base during a dark time when the Japanese were exerting their control over the Korean peninsula. I recall seeing an Imperial Chrysanthemum still adorning the 8th Army HQ, reminding us of its past. However, there was a lesser-known corner of the base where a peculiar building stood, possibly a storage facility for the hospital or something of the sort. This place had towering walls that seemed to guard its secrets and it had been rumored to be a special hospital. During the Japanese occupation there were countless stories circulating among staff duty officers about encountering eerie phenomena while conducting their checks. As for me I was assigned to overnight guard duty at the United Nations Command HQ Ken Yongsan. About three to four years prior, a fellow NCO approached the guard, requested his weapon, and tragically took his own life in the gazebo located at the back of the headquarters. So, the building itself was equipped with automatic front doors and surveillance cameras that monitored the area outside the entrance. On one particular night, around 2 a.m., my friend and I noticed a dark, shadowy figure ascending the ramp towards the entrance. And our initial thought was, probably the sergeant of the guard, just great. I stepped out of the guard post to brief him while my buddy stayed inside, keeping an eye on the camera feed. To our surprise, both the inner and outer automatic doors opened, but there was no one there. I thought to myself, ah, this OG must be playing tricks on us. So I quickly stepped outside the building to investigate, but there was no sign of anyone. Tuzzled, I returned inside and asked my friend where the person had gone. He gave me a bewildered look and informed me that he had witnessed the figure entering the building. We discussed what had occurred and came to the chilling conclusion that it must have been the ghost of the NCO, making his phantom rounds as the SOG. From that point on, I adamantly refused to pull another night shift in that building. The unnerving experience had left an indelible mark on my psyche, and I deemed it best to avoid any further encounters with the supernatural within those walls. I have stories about both my farm and my boyfriend's farm that might be interesting to you. Farms have a lot of history, My family has been farming in the exact same spot since the 1870s when my family arrived from Germany, and his family has been farming in the same area since the 1930s. Therefore, they have lots of tales. My boyfriend's dad, I'll call him my father-in-law because he basically is, I swear has seen everything at least once and has the most interesting stories. I will share a couple of his to start. For context my boyfriend's family farms on both sides of Iowa and Missouri border since they live fairly close to the state line they have corn soybeans and beef cattle on pasture I particularly love the cattle because I love getting to jump in the ranger and ride around the pasture with my boyfriend to check on the cows we do this almost every night in the spring summer and fall to make sure they are healthy not injured account for the calves, make sure they have enough grass and look to see if there are any holes or breaks in the fences. In the winter time, they get moved to a lot with a covered shed to protect them from the elements, so they are not on the pasture and we feed them hay. Anyway, in the mid-2000s, my father-in-law was out in the wooded area of the cattle pasture. The trees are quite dense here and it often serves as a great deer hunting spot in the late fall winter once the cows had been moved to the winter lot. He was setting up trail cameras in the woods to watch deer in preparation for hunting season that fall. After some time, he came back out to get the cart out of the camera to see if there were any big bucks roaming around. When he took a look at some of the pictures, he saw that there had been an unusual man back there. Trespassers aren't all that uncommon, and often it's just an annoyance rather than cause for concern. There was no way to tell who it was, so he just forgot about it. A few days later, he went back to hang the camera back up in the tree. When my father-in-law went back a second time about a week later to get the camera to see the pictures, someone had dug three makeshift graves in the back corner of the pasture. At the head of each grave was a wooden cross with a first name on it. He unfortunately didn't catch the man on trail camera, but he alerted the police about the situation. I think based on the names on the crosses, the police had an idea of who it could have been. The rural Midwest is smaller than you think for being so vast. My father-in-law wasn't really sure what came of that and never asked too much into it. But if he hadn't discovered those graves in the pasture and alerted the police, they might have been filled. For the second story, my father-in-law had some farms in Missouri that were bordered by the Missouri River. The Missouri River flows down through the Dakotas along the Iowa-Nebraska border and then at Kansas City, it takes a turn and divides the state of Missouri in two until it reaches the Mississippi. One spring in the late 1990s, he was out in a field next to the Missouri River planting corn. This was before all the current high-tech tools that farmers have at their disposal now, which can tell you if you have an issue with your machine right from the cab. He thought that his planter was having some issues, so he jumped out to check if something was broken. When he got out of his tractor, he noticed a really strange smell. A bad smell. If you know anything about farming, planting season is fast. Pace time to try to beat the weather, and he was more concerned about getting his crop planted than investigating. He just assumed it was a dead deer washed up in the river and continued on until he thought the planter was having problems again a few hours later. This time he was on the end of the field closer to the river. The smell was stronger and unlike anything he had experienced before. They continued on that day working until one of the hired men asked if anyone noticed the bizarre smell coming from the river. My father-in-law said he had and wondered to them. If it was a dead deer but usually deer didn't stink quite like this one of the hired men wandered across the field to the edge of the river it's not like a nice sandy beach that touches the ground to make a shoreline often it is a rocky or steep overlook many feet down to the river below to get a closer look at the bottom he saw what he thought was animal tangled in the branches washed up by the river looking closer he realized it was a person they immediately called the police. Turns out it was a missing woman who was a known prostitute from Kansas City who had made it this far downstream. I cannot find the exact article or name, and I don't know if the police ever told my father-in-law her name, even though they briefly questioned him. But I do know there are a few articles of women being found in the river east of K.C. in the late 1990s. This report details a sighting I, as a police officer, had of an apparent bipedal canid in a suburban township of a large city along the Navajo. The original sighting came from two boys who were riding their bicycles. They spotted what they thought was a man walking with a dog, but upon closer inspection, they realized it was not a man. That wasn't very long after this that I also reported seeing something very similar during my own patrol shift. It had been raining for some time, so there was plenty of mud to have casted footprints and possibly even made impressions upon. Leading up to my first encounter, I first noticed some sort of unusual activity at around 7.30 p.m. on May 23, 2011. It was very shortly after this, I got out of my vehicle to investigate, leaving the engine running in case I needed to make a quick getaway. I saw something large beneath some trees on the other side of a wire fence that had been knocked down beneath power lines. As it looked up at me, I saw what appeared to be a canine, but standing on two legs instead of four. The creature did not stay around for too long. There's no more information about its exact size or weight available. It was described as being at least six feet tall, reddish-brown fur all over its body, which could be interpreted by some people as being wolf-like. Whatever this creature was, it sure knew how to quickly escape from me, as there's no clear information on its speed or general mannerisms. The boys immediately called their father and described what they had seen as a tall man. The sighting drew a lot of attention to the area, and soon other people began reporting seeing similar creatures. In fact, a Navajo tribal officer also witnessed what he would call a skinwalker, reported it to be at least six to seven feet tall and walking around the same neighborhood, although that was a separate incident altogether and occurred right after some time after the boy's own sighting. This report included a statement by a third witness who claimed the creature may have been used for some sort of camouflage or stealth while hiding in some trees or brush about 50 feet away. Shortly before seeing me, this man said he had heard dogs barking and howling in a terrible way. This bipedal canine was also described as being covered in dark hair that was more reddish-brown. This eyewitness account came from an 18-year-old Navajo male who claimed to have also seen the creature on May 24, 2011, right around 12.30 a.m. near his home. It is unknown whether or not all three witnesses were together during any part of their sighting, but it seems likely due to the creature's size being so similar. My sighting happened within less than a mile away from where these two others had seen this, thanks to Lyle Blackburn for his assistance with this report. I come from Phoenix, Arizona. I haven't traveled to many places during my life, but I was born, raised, and schooled there. Since I didn't want a boring city job, but I didn't feel like moving either. I signed up to be a ranger in the Tonto National Forest. The job wasn't easy or fun on all the time, but at least I didn't have to sit in a crowded office all day. I loved my job for the most part. I really did, all up until a crazy night that I won't forget. I was working my third shift starting late in the evening. While doing the first tour, it was still fairly light outside. There wasn't a whole lot to see. Many people had already gone home, and the rest were well on their way. I finished the tour, headed back to my station. Time flew by quickly, and I was already getting prepared to do the second and longest tour of my shift. I had to walk about four miles down a rocky road, all the way to the Theodore Roosevelt Lake. The walk down was quite easy and very quiet. I reached the lake in less than one hour. I was a bit tired from walking, so I sat by the lake to try and get some rest. The first thing I heard was a splash. It sounded like a very large fish jumping out, falling back into the water. Shortly after that, there was another, but this one was closer and louder. It sounded far too big for a fish. I got startled a little bit, so I stood up and began slowly backing away from the light. The thing in the water began to speed up as well, and I could see something waving its tail towards the shore. Still walking backward, I was focused to see what would emerge from the water, and the first thing I saw was a mouth, a huge mouth, a long one with many teeth, slowly creeping out from the lake. I moved faster back up the hill, turning my head to see what was behind me. After a few steps, when I turned my head, I realized the creature was already running towards me at full speed, looking somehow crocodilian. Its legs were short, but had huge claws on its feet. It resembled the famous Bear Lake monster. I was terrified. Even though it was short, it was moving and closing the distance between us. And my instincts kicked in. I managed to pull myself up quite high on one of the pine trees. I stayed up there for a whole seven hours while this thing waited for me to come down. Only when the sun had come up did it disappear. I finally got off the tree and sprinted the full four miles to the station. They sent over davers and some police, but didn't take what I had reported too seriously. I still work there, but I refuse to go near that side of the forest. And trust me, I get crap for it all the time from my buddies, So I'm going to tell you the story of my brief encounter with a man called Happy. I hope it's okay with the mods that I use the name that he gave me. Happy, I'm sure it wasn't his real birth name, but it adds to the creepy ambience of the story. Even though it happened around nine years ago, sometimes he still crosses my mind, especially on gloomy overcast days in Los Angeles, just like the day I met Happy. 2013, I'm working at a cannabis dispensary in Venice Beach, a block from the boardwalk. A good 35% of our patrons were unhoused people. Occasionally, someone experiencing severe psychosis would try to come in, but if they were screaming, our unintelligible security would not let them in. If they had and presented the Holy Trinity of medical papers, ID, and cash, they were good to go. We had a compassion program where we'd bag up grams of shake left over from bottoms of jars and give them completely free, one per person per day, to anyone who asked. Word about this spread quickly on the boardwalk. Generally, these people would be the nicest, most polite, and considerate customers. Even if they did smell a bit stinky and their money got pulled out of a sweaty sock, No one working there would bat an eye if someone came in smelling like they'd slept on the beach for a week next to a bottle of vodka, as long as they just calmly buy their weed and be on their way like any other customer. It's a foggy, chilly day around the holidays, sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Someone called out, so I was the only person in the back button-ding. There was another employee at reception, and the security guard at the front door... I'm alone in the back room. There are cameras, but no one is actively watching them. This guy walks in after being checked in at the front. He's the only customer at him, and I swear the whole room gets colder as he walks in. He is wearing a very worn-in, deeply faded, wrinkled, conformed to his body, floor-length leather duster jacket like this, and a similarly beaten-up wide-brimmed leather cowboy hat. It looked like he'd lived and slept in these same clothes for years. We did not allow hats, hoods, or sunglasses in the store. So I'm surprised that security didn't make him take off his hat. This man is at least 6'5 and built like a boulder, not obese kind of large, pick you up and toss you like a rag doll. large. The stench that comes with him is unlike anything I've ever smelt before or since. It was beyond B.O., beyond piss or shit. It smelled like actual death as if he had raw, rotting carcasses tucked under his thick, long, leather coat. I thought I had been hardened by plenty of nasty body stank before, but this was absolutely revolting, far beyond anyone who hadn't showered lately or pissed their pants. I'm trying not to inhale very deeply, and I say, sir, excuse me, I'm sorry. Would you mind taking off your hat? Just store policy. Big customer service smile. What are you looking for today? He grunts deeply. He is walking very slow, shuffling and dragging his feet. His voice sounds like he gargles with gravel, rough and wet, raw and angry. I don't take off my hat. At this point, I'm not trying to argue with this man about his hat, either. Let's get him in and out. I glance down and see he is not wearing shoes. The bit I can see from under his coat. One of his ankles is massively purple, black and swollen, melon-sized. The bottoms of both his feet are bloody and tore up. I realize he is leaving a slight trail of blood as he drags his ragged feet across the concrete floor of the shop. My first thought is how and why the F dead security let this guy come in. Second is this guy's is obviously seriously injured, and that is concerning as a human being. I'm making sure to keep the display shelf between me and this guy, but that's only about a foot of space like a bar. He gets to me, and the stench gets stronger. I meekly but sincerely ask, Are you all right, sir? His eyes flare at me. What do you care? And I'm like, whelp, I tried not my chair. Not my problem. Not my monkeys. Not my circus. Great. What can I get for you? He pulls up one of his sleeves to expose his forearm. It is covered in large round burns like from a cigar, some old healed, and some fresh pussy and infected. It's not track marks, it's burns. He also has a jagged, homemade-looking stick and poke tattoo of a smiley face. A crooked circle, two lines for the eyes, and scabbed-up curve of a smile. He points at this tattoo, Happy. My name is Happy. The rotting stink was so strong, and I needed to breath little gasps the least possible I walked here I walked all the way here from Pasadena I'm like wow sir that's a very long walk anyway what are you looking for today just for you his eyes are dark and menacing he is smeared with a layer of grime like he lives in the woods dirty he doesn't look like the average crust punk or disabled veteran you generally see living on the beach it was hard to guess his age, but he wasn't that old or young, somewhere between 30-50. He looked like he'd dragged himself here from his log cabin, like what would happen if you entangled some quantum mechanics poorly and mixed Ed Jean with an 1800s homesteader, then transported him to 2013 Venice Beach. I, of course, have never seen this man before. Once was more than enough to make him unforgettable. He keeps staring at me, and I move as far back as I can to the wall, hopefully out of his grasp if he lunged. I would need to walk out from behind the case and around him to get the security guard. I'm weighing my options. Ha <laughs> ha! bad pun intended. I decide to grab a bunch of compassion grams and then weigh out in one aid and mark it down that I'd pay for it later, and he's still just leering at me, wheezing heavy stinking breaths. We actually have a special today... Only for people who walk more than ten miles to get here. This is all for you on the house. Thank you for stopping by. He accepts the bag, but continues to just stand there and stare at me. Thank you, Happy. It worked. He grunts a guttural noise that is not a word and slowly turns to shuffle back towards the door. At the door, he turns back towards me and says, I'll see you later. He finally walks out after, leaving plenty of his residual stench of death behind thank any and all of the gods, I did not see Happy later or ever again. When I asked security why the EF did they let him in, he said that when he had noticed his bloody feet and said, they broke you all good, that looks like it hurts. Happy had stepped up in his face and threatened to choke you out. Stupid word, and since it was just him and two 22-year-old 130-pound girls, he wasn't trying to die tonight and figured hopefully Happy could just get his stuff and leave. He was watching the cameras in the back ready to call. Police and owners, if anything, got weird. Apparently we had different definitions of weird, but I understood his reaction, and ultimately we're all fine, just spooked and creeped out and now needing to clean blood off the floor with bleaching gloves and texting our boss that he owed us free weed about it, he agreed, and we all lived happily ever after. This happened to myself and a close friend, both 23-year-old males, just last month. We decided to go on a two-night backpacking or camping trip in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. We are both very comfortable with nature and spend a lot of time camping, hunting, fishing, etc. We hiked about five miles into a small lake and set up camp on a small beach. This was not a heavily trafficked area and we did not expect to run into anyone. Our first night there, as we were sitting around the fire, We saw a flashlight moving on the other side of the lake around 10.30. This was fairly unusual, however, we did not think too much of it. But as time went on, this flashlight kept moving around the lake, getting closer to our campsite. We kept discussing who could possibly be wandering around the woods in the middle of the night, and we did not particularly want an unwelcome guest. Once it was clear that the person, or people, were heading for our campsite, we moved off into the woods nearby to see who wandered up. I took a small axe with me, and he had a point twenty two rifle. Now we weren't expecting trouble, and we certainly didn't want to make any, but we figured we might as well cover our bases. Now the moment of truth. The flashlight comes near the light of our fire, and it is one man. He has a beard, and is probably in his mid-forties. The scary part was he was carrying what turned out to be a pump-action shotgun. He walked around the campsite a few times and then proceeded to enter our tent. After rummaging around for a minute or so, he came out and started yelling, ''I know you're out there! Why don't you come and say hello?'' My friend and I remained motionless under a hemlock tree about fifty yards away. That is when the man proceeded to fire his shotgun into the woods, not too far from where we were. He also swung his flashlight around several times. After what felt like hours, he grabbed my friend's backpack and a few articles of clothing we had drying off near the fire, and threw them in to burn. My friend, who had trained the point .22 at the man, asked me if he should shoot. I told him absolutely not, unless he spots us and starts to point the gun in our direction. Thankfully, the man moved off from where he had come after a little while. We waited until his flashlight was on the other side of the lake, ran out. Grabbed everything we could fit in my pack and took off. It was now around 2 or 3 a.m. We ran out the trail with flashlights and made it back to my car as the sun was coming up. We immediately went to the police department and reported it, where we also spoke with some forest rangers. That was it. I haven't heard anything back from the police. It wasn't mysterious, however, it creeped the hell out of both of us. This summer, I was out in the dark canyon wilderness of Utah, after two weeks of driving and backpacking around the country alone. The plan was a seven-day trip, and after a few days of setbacks, I was on my last night. By this time, I was already a little scared of the dark, but that's just what happens when you are your only company for three weeks. Anyway, on the sixth day, I found an awesome elk antler and put it on my shoulders about a mile into the day's hike. As anyone who has poorly packed a pack will attest, just slapping 15 pounds on the top of your pack is a bad idea. About halfway through my planned death march, my hip was getting sore and I blew through my water. I decided that I would stop early and get some water. Luckily, I found a few puddles in a dryest riverbed and made camp. I started boiling some water when it struck me: if there's ganky water here, there may be good water upstream. So up I went upstream. Just as the canyon boxed out a little spring filled the bed with deliciously cold, refreshing water. I drank on my hands and knees before realizing I didn't bring my water bottles. Whatever, I hiked a half mile or so back to the camp and grabbed them. This is where it gets weird. On my trip back up, I kept feeling really vulnerable and uncomfortable. Every little rustle in the bushes set me off. I could hear birds calling in the distance that set me off. I kept looking for something following me. I can only describe my emotion as pure terror. It got to the point where I picked up a branch in the just in case a cougar tried to attack me. I still kept telling myself that it was just paranoia and I'm fine, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. I finally got to the water and filled up my camelback and bottle, constantly looking over my shoulder. The feeling of unease was still with me when I headed back down the gulch. "'There I came upon a fresh mountain-land print "'placed directly between two that I made on the way up. "'It's one thing to think that your fears "'are unfounded paranoia. "'It's much worse to know they are true.'